Now, some would say, what? Uh, politics and religion. Well, separation of church and state. Well, there is uh, a desire for separation, but uh, God admonishes us to pray. <laughs> pray for our leaders and pray for those who are in charge over us. But we'll see how this works. And uh, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But uh, as we begin, I want to remind everyone that if you have an offering that you would like to send, please do so. Um, again, the pews are basically empty, and the offering is uh, only what comes by mail and what people bring as they come today. So anyhow, make it out to Winber Assembly, Winber, W-I-N-D-B-E-R, Assembly, and then mail it to Winber Assembly, Box 361, Box 361, Winber, Pennsylvania, 15963. So thank you very much for your gifts and your continued support by prayer and finances. You know, through the internet, we've been able to, you know, pick up some little funnies, you know, that's going on during this time. And uh, I like the one where the, the, the child called from his bedroom down to his mother and said that he had missed the bus and he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to come to school today <laughs> so <laughs> so i don't think that got very far but i thought it was kind of funny so if if someone were going to have a political agenda we i would think that it would have been jesus um, jesus came to um Israel at a time in which they were under Roman occupation, which was, uh, again, very um, severe. The Romans were not good task masters. And uh, they had created a, a, an upheaval in the, in the system, in the Jewish system. And, um, you know, their, their taxes and their um, ways of governing and overseeing people. You know, the, Jesus used the illustration, if somebody asks you to go with them one mile, go with them two. You know, and to us, we say, well, okay, that, doesn't, that sounds like uh, a bit much. But it was uh, Roman law that if a Roman soldier was walking and he wanted you to carry his armor, he, you were required to do so for one mile. And so if a Roman soldier said, you come carry my armor, well, you, you were bound by the law to do so. And Jesus said, well, not only go with him one mile, go with him two. So whenever we are looking here at 1 Corinthians, I know that uh, Paul is addressing the church and, and, and different aspects of the church at Corinth. But I want also to see some similarities, not only from, uh, through what Paul is addressing to the churches, he, what he's addressing to us where we live today in, in our political views. And please understand, I'm not going to be picking one side or another or, you know, things like that. But I do have some, um, I think, insight into how we can help ourselves not be so fretful, so agitated at what some people are at the news and the events of our time. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Greetings from Paul. Now, it's important that we know where the letter is coming from. You know, in our time, when you write a letter, you sign your name at the bottom. Well, at this time period, they always signed their letter at the beginning. 
They, they let people know who is the author and perhaps the intent in, of the message. Well, Paul says, I was chosen to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So right off the bat, he, he lets us know he has the authority and he is letting the people of Corinth know he has the authority to write this letter to them. And he says, I was chosen to be an apostle by Christ Jesus. God chose me because that is what he wanted. So when Paul is putting this together, he's letting them know right from the very beginning, what I'm about to say to you is very important, and it's not just a whim or a um, sidebar of what um, the the true purpose of our mission here in life is. Now verse 2 says, To God's church in Corinth, You who have been made holy because you belong to Jesus. Now, one of the things, if you look at the place Corinth, um, it's important to note that Corinth was not this um, sleepy little community in the foothills of Judea. Uh, Corinth was a giant melting pot for many different cultures, and it was a seaport. And the Romans had uh, basically destroyed it in the B.C. and they came back and rebuilt it. And now it was a very progressive, uh, very commercial city. It had great wealth, diversities of wealth and religion and moral standards. It had a, um, a reputation of being fiercely independent. They, didn't, you know, they, they were governed, but yet they weren't. So this is this melting pot of different cultures and you know, different people coming together. And it was a city that was one of the most decadent of the ancient world. It was immoral. It was depraved. And the idolatry in that community flourished. There was over a dozen pagan temples with over a thousand prostitutes. So... Whenever, God, whenever Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he says, you who were made holy because you belong to Christ Jesus. I mean, he's talking about people that came from different cultures, different, different uh, areas of the re- country, and they have come together to be in this melting pot of Corinth, and yet it was, it was a very, um, what can I say, very immoral place, and it was just... Uh, It was was a booming city at that time. Verse 3, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may think, well, that's just a a normal introduction. But whenever we look at the word grace, and grace is God's unmerited favor, meaning that you receive, we receive God's grace because of his, God's favor upon our life. So if you look from where these people have come from, it is God who has extended his grace to them so that they can come out of the environment that they are in to to become part of the body of Christ. So God's gift to you is the gift of salvation, forgiveness of sin. So we see how that... Paul is, you know, letting them know what's going on here and and how that God has changed their lives and brought them out from their cultures. And then verse 4, Paul says to them, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. I want to thank my God for you. So Paul is endearing himself here. 
I want to thank my God for you. Now, one of the things is, remember, these individuals are not perfect. We think, oh, wow, you know, Corinth, you know, they've got it all together. Well, we'll as we read through the book of uh, Corinthians, we'll see that these, these people uh, have problems. They have difficulties they're facing. But one of the challenges is for us to see that God's grace works with imperfect people. God doesn't say, clean up your life and then come to me. God says, come to me and I will clean up your life. See, that's God's grace. So there is no one beyond the reach of God's grace and his mercy. And Paul here is telling the Corinthians that I always thank my God for you because of the grace that he, Jesus Christ, has given you. So Paul is convinced that the believers in Corinth have received spiritual resources necessary to change their lives. They have received the spiritual strength to come from where they were at to where God wants them to be. Verse 5. In Christ, you have been blessed in every way. Again, thinking, where these people came from? And they haven't been Christians that long And they're still trying to figure out how this Christianity works and how it fits into their lives and in the culture to which they are in. And he says, I, in Christ, you have been blessed in every way. We look at our own lives. In Christ, we have been blessed in every way. Hmm. (laughs) See, we are under the influence of the Spirit of God. Now, there are two spirits. There's evil and good. And the Spirit of God is just as real and, 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 and alive and, and active in us as we are alive and active. He is real to us. He is alive. That's the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our faith, is our understanding. Because I live, Jesus says this, you shall live also. So you have been blessed in all your speaking and your knowledge. Whoa. He's telling the Corinthians, you have been blessed with these very two special gifts. Now, um, some people are very blessed in speech. (laughs) I would say some people, they're not verbally challenged. (laughs) Uh, My wife just left, so I can tell her she's not verbally challenged. She'll be back, and the rest of you can tell her what I said. All right, you know, so I'm not getting off that easy. But, um, but you know, it's just, it's, a, it's her gift. She just never, her mind just never shuts down, and that's a good thing. Well, Paul is saying to the people at Corinth, you've been blessed in every way, and one of the two very special gifts you have is the, your speech and your knowledge. Did you ever think that your speech and your knowledge are a blessing from God? Verse 6. Paul states, this proves that we told you about Christ is true. Now you have every gift from God, and while you wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to come again. So they are not lacking in any spiritual gift. We find this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 5. And that as you're waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ, for Christ to be revealed, for him to come back again. Verse 8. He will keep you strong. All right? It's important that we note that. He will keep you strong until the end 
so that on the day when our Lord Christ returns, you will be free from all blame. He will keep you strong. Now, the Corinthian city, the city of Corinth, was, again, a very diverse and difficult place to live. And Paul is telling them that God will keep you strong. So we can take that very, very same statement and look at it in our own life. God will keep you strong. And say that. God will keep me strong. So it isn't on what um, I hear on the news or read in a newspaper. It's what the Spirit of God says to us that God will keep us strong. And it's because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished in our lives. Hmm. Jesus will keep us strong until the end of COVID-19. Jesus will keep us strong in our confinement, in our, um, I'm going to call it isolation, or whatever it is that, that we are self, self, self-contained or whatever. We kind of um, put ourselves in this place where we are not rubbing shoulders with people. Verse 9, God is faithful. He is the one who has chosen you to share life with his son, Jesus Christ. So you see where he is going? I mean, to, to, to pick out all of these things that he is delivering to these people at Corinth, and, and, and he's writing to them and letting them know about their relationship with God and his grace that has brought them from, their, from the, their sins of where they have been at, and he's established them and given them knowledge and speech. He's given them faith that God is faithful because he chose you, and that we, he will keep us strong. See, Paul specifically names these two gifts, which are speech and knowledge. But he goes on to say, verse 10, and this is the one that I think is so important. He says, brothers and sisters, by the authority. Remember, he started off by saying he was chosen by God and God, you know, put him here in this position as an apostle. Brothers and sisters, by the authority, the power, the right to give orders of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says to them, I beg. (laughs) I have authority, but I beg you. I earnestly ask you, I humbly request of you to agree with each other. To agree with each other. Now, these are a lot of different cultures that have come to Corinth. It's a melting pot. They have different backgrounds. They have different temples and idols that they've been worshiping at. They, you know, they are maybe merchants and, you know, (laughs) dealings with people that are ruthless and cruel. And, and And they find themselves in this position. And Paul says to them as a church that you have to not be divided. Now, Paul is not arguing for conformity, meaning that everybody think the same thoughts. That's... No, that's why we have a brain. <laughs> I always said, <laughs> I always said, you never check your door. You never check your brain at the door of a church. <laughs> you know, God gives us understanding. He will enlighten our thinking. He will give us an understanding of our faith and, and of our relationship with Jesus Christ. To have faith doesn't mean we, you know, somehow have to get rid of our thoughts and hang them on a, on a post somewhere. But God will. He has created us with the ability to think and to reason, to understand. And he's not telling us, don't, don't do any of that stuff. Just believe these certain thoughts or these certain things and you're okay. 
Each of us understands that if there is continual strife, and this is Paul's talking basically with the churches here, if there is continual strife that there, and there's no cohesion, it will fall apart. Well, I'm liking that today to our nation, that there has to be some cohesion. There has to be some drawing, some understanding, come to some clarity or purpose. Purpose. What is the purpose of our belief? What is the purpose of our politics, our own personal political things? What is its purpose? Where is it taking us? How is it going to get us to the next level? And I don't have one that you're supposed to choose at the end of the, uh, of the message. I have only for us to challenge our hearts and to look at who we are and what's going on in our lives. And as we go on through here, um, Christians are to contribute to their society. We don't hide in a building. We are part of our society. We're part of the world around us. And we are to be there, to be their support and to be their strength. Be ready for every good work. <laughs> be ready for every good work. So as we think about our purpose, our beliefs, <laughs> I think sometimes people know what they're against. <laughs> they, they're against someone or some political thing. And I won't go any further than that. They just know they're against it. And we are, we are a nation, I think, that is becoming more divisive and filled with strife. And we are becoming a nation, and what I, what I fear in all of this, and I mean fear as not being afraid of, as, but as I look at that is developing in relationships and what we, you see in the media and all those places is it is a place of hate and there's a difference between hating and having a difference of opinion i know people who won't talk to their neighbors anymore because they found out that they have a different viewpoint i was talking on the phone with a person and we were just barely mentioning something about a political thing and someone in the background started on this rampage about, and, and what happens is, and I, I hate to call it blind rage, but it's, it's a, a rage that people feel that they've got to defend who they are. You know, and, and I think of this, it's, it's not just a mental thing. I think it is a, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing where we have to understand our hearts because God is going to judge us judge us individually for whatever, whatever the out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so our hearts are to be challenged by our faith. And it doesn't mean we all have to align our thoughts and think a certain way. And we can, be, we can think different thoughts. You know, <laughs> Paul and Silas had different thoughts. They, they, they split. And Paul, you know, so there was times in which there were Timothy and all, you know, there were times of, that were not so good because of people's thoughts. And so the challenge is for us, not that we be <laughs> robots and all cut out of the same mold, but that we have a heart that doesn't have hate. Do you know what the opposite of hate is? It's not love. The opposite of hate 
is connection. <laughs> the opposite of hate is to connect. So in our lives, whenever we have this hatred, which is, and actually the opposite, you know, hate is to separate. It is to draw a division. It is to <laughs> have an intense, passionate dislike for someone or something. And, and whenever we are looking at this, the hatred that people have, and, and, uh, and there's a, it's, it's all right to disagree, but there is this <laughs> hatred, the ill will towards someone else who thinks differently, who feels differently. And I am reminded that if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, that we are to remind ourselves of Jesus on the cross in which he is there, you know, being crucified by these Romans and he says to, Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in our lives, we don't have the ability to know everything. We don't have the ability to see into the future. We only have the ability to see what God sees in our own heart. And that we want that, we want that peace of God to be in our lives so that we have the strength of God to live our daily lives. And so, I know this was a, uh, perhaps a crude analogy, but I heard it spoken once before, uh, I don't remember where, but people like to puke all over others. Don't let people puke on you. You're better than that. And don't allow yourself to puke on others. Because there's more to you than hatred and bitterness. We will come out of this. We will come through it. But it is only by loving Christ and allowing Christ to love us you know what my challenge is, and I'll go to the end and come back because I sometimes never get to the end. But my challenge for this whole message is, can you pray for Nancy Pelosi? Can you pray for Donald Trump in the same prayer? You see, that's the challenge, and if we can't do that, we need to ask God for grace to give us the grace Remember where it's God's favor, these people had to come out of their jealousy and out of their culture and out of their rivalries as a community in Corinth. They had to come out of that and stop their striving. And in the next verses, he, sa he sees these people, these Corinthian Christians, and they're all divided. They're divided because some of them were for Paul. We follow Paul's teachings. Somebody over on the other side is saying, no, 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 we follow Apollos. And somebody else is on the other side, no, no, we follow Peter. And of course, the really spiritual ones, no, we follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> Paul was trying to get them to understand they all follow Jesus Christ. Because it is Christ who died on the cross. And it is Christ who died for us. And it is, it is the message of, of love Love means connecting. <laughs> Hatred is disconnect. Love means, you know what the opposite of love is? 
is apathy. Apathy. You know, whatever. So you see in our lives, God has called us to participate in life. God has called us to connect with people. Not to puke on people or allow people to puke on us. Maybe I'll stop using that word. But, <laughs> but you know, it's not about how, how right we are. It's about how much we can pray for one another and pray for God and that his grace and his mercy because we know God wants to take us through this crisis and through this time. And we pray for our leaders and we pray for those in charge over us. We pray for our communities. We pray for our governors. We pray for the people that they could make wise decisions because in their decisions, it will affect all of us. It will affect the body of Jesus Christ. And if we believe in Jesus, we must believe in his grace and his mercy to touch our lives that the effectual fervent prayer of each one of us has great effect upon what's going on in our world. Verse 18. But the teachings, the teachings about the cross seem foolish to those who are lost. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Whenever we talk about the power of God working in our life, we go back to the power that raised Christ from the dead. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will quicken your mortal bodies, not only in the resurrection, but he will quicken our mortal bodies here and now. He will quicken our knowledge and our speech. He will touch our hearts so that we can touch the hearts of others. Connect. Hatred brings disconnect. Love brings connection. How can I make a difference in the world that I live? How can Christ speak through me that I will not, I will not bring division? Some people love to be divided. You know, um, I counseled for many years, and, I, I, and one individual I remember he was, he was full of hate. <laughs> he had gotten out of prison. He, he had to, he was basically court-ordered to see someone. And we talked and we talked and we just, you know, for, met him a couple of times. And all he could talk about was getting even. And the person had restraining orders and every, you know, they knew, everybody knew what was going on. It wasn't like this was a surprise. It's not a surprise to the person that he hated and it wasn't a surprise to him. But he couldn't get past his hatred. And he ended up in prison again. We, we have a reason. Often pain, we are hurt. <laughs> Hurting people hurt people. You know? There's another phrase, I can't remember the guy, John Maxwell. Um, he said that, I just left my head what he said. <laughs> um, I'll go on. But, uh, so as followers of Jesus Christ, we know that the cross is that which is the foundation of our faith. And verse 18 says, the teachings about the cross seem foolish to those who are lost, but to those 
to the, but to us who are being, being saved, it is the power of God. On Good Friday, the death of Jesus, his disciples and followers were at a loss. Everything has gone wrong. But Sunday was coming. They didn't know it. In our lives, <laughs> this is our Good Friday, when th- seeing things seem not to be going anywhere, and that it seems like we're this great conflict, but, you know, God has it all under control. We trust him. We trust him. We trust that God has a plan. No, i don't sure what it is, and I don't see into the future. I just know that God has a future plan for us. And the thing that I was thinking of um, the, from John's, John Maxwell was, that which offends me only weakens me. <laughs> that which offends me only weakens me. And whenever we are offended by people, and it starts bringing up what? Separation. We need to forgive ourselves, forgive them, and move beyond those offenses to connect as Jesus would connect with our lives and with them. And I want to read the the rest of these verses and and think of it in what we're going through as a nation and what we're facing as individuals. Verse 20. So what does this say about the philosophers, the law experts, I think of the experts on TV. Or anyone in this world who is skilled in making clever arguments. God has made the wisdom of the world look foolish. This is what God in his wisdom decided. Since the world did not find him through its own wisdom, he uses the message that sounds foolish to save those who believe it. The Jews, they ask for a sign. The Greeks, they want wisdom But this is the message we tell everyone. Christ was killed on a cross. This message is a problem for Jews, and to other people, it is nonsense. But Christ is God's power and wisdom to the people God has chosen, both Jews and Greeks. Even the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Even the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sister, God chose you to be his. God chose you to be his. Think about that. Not many of you were wise in the way of the world's judges, the world, the world judges wisdom. Not many of you had great influence. Not many of you came from important families. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose what the world thinks is not important, what the world hates and thinks is nothing. He chooses these to destroy what the world thinks is important. God did this so that no one can stand before him and boast about anything. It is God who has made you part of Christ Jesus. And Christ has become for us the wisdom of God. He is the reason we are right with God and pure enough to be in his presence. 
Christ is the one who sets us free from sin. So as the scripture says, whoever boasts should boast only about the Lord. So as we look at our life and we look at the political arenas and we listen to the commentaries and we listen to this, let us always remember what's in our heart. Hate disconnects. Love connects. Let us love those as Christ loves them, as Christ loves one another. Those whom we (laughs) would put off and say they're not good enough or They'll never make it or whatever. It's our judgment, not God's. For no one is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. So pray for Nancy Pelosi. Pray for Donald Trump. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, Then will I hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. The responsibility lies with us as believers to pray for our leaders. If we will humble ourselves and pray and seek God, forsake our sins, he will heal our land. Pray for our leaders. Jesus, we thank you that you have heard our prayers. And God, in your sight, (laughs) there are none righteous, not, not one. But yet, Lord, it is you who have called us by your grace and forgiven us of our sin. And Lord, you have placed us in your hands and in your book of life, and we shall live forever. So in this place of richness, (laughs) in this place of blessing, where you have done great things in our life, we pray for our leaders. We pray for Nancy Pelosi. We pray for Donald Trump. We pray that your spirit will be upon them. We pray, O God, that there will be healing in our land. We pray, Lord, that you will heal our hearts. You will heal the the hearts of individuals that we know. And Lord, we shall be at peace. We shall be at peace in our lives. And that hatred shall not be part of us, nor part of our our lives or our family. But you, Lord, will bring us peace, the Prince of Peace. Peace in our heart and our mind, that we may speak your word, and that, Lord, we may be strong in our faith, knowing that all things work together for good, that you will heal our land. God, we thank you for hearing our prayers. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you.